And now, you're tuned into RBLR, the home of Tampa Bay's Reveler Sports. This is your RBLR Rays podcast. I'm your host, Zach Dobb, along with my co-host, Pat Davenport. Pat, how you doing? We made it. We finally made it. Baseball games are being played as we speak as right we now. Speak. Yeah. The Rays are playing a baseball game. We're not going to talk about the score. We're not going to talk about that because it actually it, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But nope. we finally made it. It's been a long off season, but spring training has started. The games themselves have started. And that means that we can all finally breathe a sigh of relief, getting that notification on MLB at bat before um, with the lineup. I was like, ah, I've missed you. It's like getting a text from a getting a text from a long lost lover back again. <laughs> back once more for another season where our feelings might get hurt or maybe we'll f- have the greatest feelings that we've ever had. We, only time will tell. Only time will yeah. tell. Well, what time doesn't need to tell, because I'm going to tell you, is what we've got for you today. And we've got a jam-packed show this week. I mean, just jam-packed. Uh, we've got some new players that have come into the fold since we last spoke. we got to talk about that, how much they're going to contribute, and how much they actually might be on the show. Uh, we've got some uh, I, we've got some player reviews from the 2023 season. we got to wrap up. Lightning round player reviews to get, to get us on track to start for the next season, because not only are we talking about what they did last year, we're talking about what they might do this year, which is going to be happening very very soon and don't worry we've got we've got some thoughts on how all these new players that we're bringing in are going to affect the roster how some of those guys may you know how much impact they may have on the roster if they're going to make the roster and and all that good stuff and as spring training goes on there's going to these are the roster battles you're going to be wanting to watch and if you are watching us on youtube do us a quick favor and subscribe. It means a lot. helps us out a lot. And I know there's a lot of you out there who are watching, and we appreciate your watching. And I know a lot of you are not always subscribed. So if you're out there and you're watching, thank you for watching. But do us a favor and hit subscribe. If you're on Spotify, follow us, drop a rating. And wherever you're watching from, just share us around. We're always glad to have you around, and we would love to have more of you around as we're getting into this new season. Absolutely. So let's get started with a bit of news. And no, I'm not talking about the Fanatics jersey slash pants debacle. Uh, that feels like a pod for later. That could be a Watch whole out your for... timelines. Be, be reverse <laughs> your eyes for the children on the timeline these days. Yeah, you're going to see some things. You're going to see you some are. things that you... You may want to see or may not want to see. I'll leave that What happens when it rains, man? Like, what happens when it rains? That's oh what my I gosh, wanna... I didn't even think of that. I didn't even yeah. think of that. Which will okay. not happen to us because we'll, we'll have a sense, but it won't happen for the most part because we're in the trap. All the, all the That's true. You know. See-through pants proof. Yep. <laughs> so over the past week, we've seen a couple of signings uh, that we didn't expect to hear about uh, coming into camp, and it's a couple of middle yep. infielders. The first one is a familiar face, uh, Yu Chang, signed to a minor league deal after playing with us a little bit in 2022 as kind of a replacement while someone else was injured and then also we brought in Ahmed Rosario as well a once super hyped prospect that was in the Guardian system traded uh in the Francis Francis sorry in the Met system came to the Guardians in Francisco Lindor deal mm-hmm. and uh has been He's had his ups and downs. Last year was not so great. Uh, both of these guys will be vying to try and make the team out of camp. Rosario's a major league deal for one and a half million. Chang, just a minor league deal with a shot to make the roster. Zach, where? how do you feel about these two signings? 
I think the which when you when you talked about them being unexpected, that's really what my initial thoughts were. I mean, uh, I was completely shocked to see that. I mean, the Yu Chang one, I, like I was surprised, but I wouldn't say I was shocked by it because I was like, okay, I can I can like in my head I can imagine that they would bring him on, you know, as as a especially on a minor league deal. I'm like, okay, I I can buy that. He likes playing here, which why wouldn't you? But it kind of makes sense to bring him back on. The Ahmed Rosario one was a big surprise to me. I kind of forgot that he was a free agent and just sort of out there available um and to bring him in was a was a i thought a, a really cool thing you know we don't usually see free agent signings this late into the you know into the season or the off season for the rays usually by this point and eric deander kind of said we were done so i guess you know lying through teeth eric um but he made a move that i think is it, it just shows you that the, the rays are always looking for the opportunity and that's what makes Eric Neander and the and the staff at, at that that make up the Rays talent acquisition department so good is they're looking for opportunities, they're looking for chances to make the team better. And not only are they doing that, but they're doing that with high efficiency. If you were to compare this deal to another deal that was made very, very early on in the offseason for Isaiah Kiner Fluffa by the Blue Jays, if you were to if you were to go and look at their stats over the last two seasons, you would find that it is very similar. And then you look at the salary that they're getting paid. I think Isaiah Kiner Fluffa is getting $7.5 million this offseason, this, this season, and uh, Ahmad Rosario is getting 1.5 million. So it's just another example of the Rays are always looking for opportunities to upgrade and and to bolster their roster and to cre- and to create that excellent roster construction that we know that they are always looking to do, and that they're going to do it in an efficient way. Which I mean, how can you not just admire what what the Rays are always putting together? Absolutely. I think as uh, value on the dollar, Ahmed Rosario may prove to be a very shrewd signing indeed, especially when comparing him to the likes of IKF or even Whit Merrifield as well. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at Ahmed Rosario, I was very stunned. I was very uh, like, what? Why? What the heck? Because it was just, it was straight off the heels of the Yu Chang deal as well. And I was like, we need more right. middle infielders. But it goes a little bit deeper than that. I did a little bit of research into Ahmed Rosario and why he might want to come be part of the Rays and why the Rays might want him in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing they value most out of Ahmed Rosario is his utility, his ability to be yeah. versatile. He can play pretty much anywhere on the infield. I would be very surprised if he played first base or catcher, but second, short, or third, he can play any of those positions. I think. And then he could also play corner outfield as well. He did that a little bit as well. So being able to play so many different positions is such a valuable asset to have because it means when almost anyone on the team needs a day off, Ahmed Rosario can fill in and be that guy. He's got plus, plus, plus speed. Really, really, really fast guy. Um, In fact, I would say he's in the 95th percentile uh, in sprint speed, according to Baseball Savant, which is super fast and uh he has good numbers against left-handed pitches as well so i would expect him to not be a starter i don't think he would get many starts but whenever someone like caballero or brandon lau or josh Lowe need a day off uh he could be a good fill-in for him i mean I do have my concerns about him, but I want to save those until we talk about how we project the roster to shape out later in the show. 
Yeah, we'll discuss him a little bit more later. The one thing I, d- I did want to add, Pam was very interested when you mentioned Ahmad Rosario, and I think why she was so interested is because of that speed you're talking about. The 95th percentile speed is really, really interesting, um, and I'm I'm curious to see how they may may use that, especially in you know later later inning games um, where, where you are close in those in those later innings. Be curious to see if if he gets some use in those kinds of situations if he is on the roster. Um, when you look at him, we'll break down a little bit more later, but his swing decisions are kind of all fine. His uh, is the only other the only other number that like looks looks red if you look at his savant sheet is his expected batting average is on the higher side so he's you know he he will at least you know he's putting the ball in play decently he's he's getting on base not an amazing amount but he's doing a lot of stuff like fine. So he, he, he acquits himself just fine in a lot of aspects. And I think that, that, but that can give you value. If you just look back a couple of years ago, he had back-to-back seasons of two and a half war, which is not nothing like two and a half wins above fan graph wins above replacement, which can be hard to come by two and a half fan graph wins above replacement over the last, you know, back-to-back seasons is nothing to sneeze at. And if he could provide some value like that, I don't know that he'll get the, the, you know, at bats or the, you know, the innings to, to, you know, give you that kind of value. But if he, if he can even approach that kind of value, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of potential there. Did you have any other thoughts on you Chang um, other than what we've, what we said before or, or what we will say more about later when we get into the roster crunch? Uh, just that it was super nice to hear that he wanted to play for the Rays. He didn't, yeah. he was looking for a major league deal and apparently he couldn't get one. So then he was filtering between about 10 minor league contract offers and he picked the Rays because he liked being with the Rays. He enjoyed his time here in 2022. He liked how he was treated. And this just continues to add to the evidence folder of why the Rays are a great organization, which we love yes. to hear every single time. Anytime there's more evidence to add to that folder, I will file it away and I'll refer back to it later when any Rays haters try and come at us and tell us that the Rays are bad for the game or whatever they're going to try and peddle. But happy for you, Chang. And you know what? He's he's not spectacular in any kind of facet of the game. He's an above average fielder, but um, if he's your third string shortstop, that raises the flaw of this team tremendously. Knowing yes. that you've got if if Caballero, Rosario, Walls, Basabe can't really uh, contribute due to injury or they're really falling off production wise, having a guy like Yu Chang as someone that far down the depth chart means that the drop-off in production will not be nowhere near as drastic as teams like the Yankees that really struggle with their depth in field. <coughs> what? No. We didn't say anything about the Yankees. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, good for the game, we're going to talk about someone who I think is good for the game and fun for the game that was uh, on the Rays last year and did some pretty cool stuff that we want to talk about and project maybe into the future. That's Jose Siri. I think he's pretty cool. I think he's pretty fun. I think that's kind of universally appreciated. He's got a, he's a, he's a, maybe a little bit cocky, but he kind of earns it because he does some pretty cool stuff, like hitting 25 home runs last year, which was awesome and a lot of fun to watch. He also had 56 runs batted in. He hit to a 106 WRC plus 319 Woba um, and a 2.7 F4 over last year. Just a quick, just a sum of the numbers he put up. Also a 222 ISO or sorry, excuse me, a 272 ISO uh, last year. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, is there, what is the, what is the statistic or the the fact about Jose Siri that jumps out the most to you from last year? Okay, so my thing about Jose Siri this year was whether fairly or unfairly, we were going to compare him to Kevin Kiermaier. Mm. He 
is the heir apparent to the longtime guy in center field. And he was touted as having a similar skill set to Kiyomaya in terms of his fielding ability and his plus-plus speed. We were told, don't worry, Kiyomaya, maybe the best outfielder the game has ever seen, is departing, but we are more than confident with the center field defense that Siri will provide that we will not notice too much of a drop-off. And he will contribute just about as much as Kiyomaya was kind of the, the... the description we were given of Syria. Yeah. So I've decided to make a direct comparison to Kevin Kiermaier in 2023. So he outproduced Kiermaier overall by half a war, uh, according to Van Graaff's 2.7 to 2.2, mm-hmm. which is excellent. Defense was still slightly better by Kiermaier. Kiermaier played a few more games. But uh, overall, Kiermaier was, according to Van Graaff's, um, this is a really interesting statistic, I think. They graded Kiyomaya as a minus 0.6 offensive value. They mm-hmm. graded Siri as a 7.0 offensive value. But mm-hmm. then their WRC plus is a 104 for Kiyomaya and a 106 for Siri. So it's like they're very similar hitters, but the uh, offensive value is drastically different. Why is that? I'll tell you why. The base running. The base running was so, so much better than by Jose Siri than what by what it was Kevin Kiermaier. Base runs, which is a fan graph statistic that measures base running value, saw Kiermaier as a, a negative asset on the base paths. Two, minus 2.7 base runs. Meanwhile, 4.2 base runs by Jose Siri. Siri is going to continue to be faster than Kiermaier for the next few years and perhaps for the rest of their careers as Kiermaier approaches the latter end of his career and Siri still very much in his prime. I think it is so much more useful having Siri on the base paths and his aggressiveness on the base paths over Kiyomaya, and that's where the value kind of uh, comes from. The one thing about Siri that still scares me in the long term is his strikeout percentage. 35.7% is very, very high. He's got a very similar... Uh, he's got that... You know, if he hits it, he'll hit it out the park. If he doesn't hit it, he's striking out kind of profile, which can lead to a lot of fluctuation um, in terms of the production that he could have. It makes it very volatile, which makes me a little bit scared. Mike Zanino is a a guy that had a similar profile to that, right? And then he was amazing in 2021. And then in 2020 and 2022, not so hot, right? Yeah. Um, His... In-zone contact percentage for Jose Siri is 73.2, which is below average, yeah. uh, which means even if the pit, you know, even if it's in the zone, his contact tool is not high. Um, and his outside the zone swing percentage is 39.6, which is still pretty high as well. Yeah. So his swing decisions and contact decisions are a bit scary, but the raw power is there. The fielding is yeah. there. For me, it just means that he's a volatile player. We got good stuff out of him this year. Is he going to be long-term good? Hard to say. What do you think about Jose Siri and his kind of future projection? Yeah, I think one, I want to bounce back off of something you said about him, his value on the base pass. Did you know that Jose Siri led the league in advanced attempt percentage last year? I did not know that. that. Which means that he he was taking the extra base 
he was percentage-wise taking the extra base more than anyone else or, or attempting to take the extra base more than anyone else in all of baseball last year. His safe percentage relative to the opportunities also leads Major League Baseball. So not only was he attempting to take the extra base more than anyone else, but he was successful at taking the extra base more than anyone in MLB. And he's, you know, that may lead into something that another statistic that I think maybe might stand out to you a little bit. If you just look at his stats, you look at his speed, you say, wait a minute, why did he only steal 12 bases? That's kind of weird. And you could go and look at his walk percentage and you might find out one of the reasons why, because it's a 5.5 walk percentage, not good. Um, so he's not getting on base a lot of times that way to where he could be stealing second, which is one, which is probably, which is easier still than third. Um, because a lot of times he's on third or he's on second when he gets on base because he's taking the extra base so frequently when he gets an opportunity. And again, when you look at his ISO, he's, he's, he's up in a 272 ISO, which by the way, his ISO and slug went up 140 points from last year, which is, which is crazy by the way, um, went up a lot. And so he is often ending up on second base. And so because you know, because not only because of his power, because of his propensity to take the extra base, those stolen bases are do go down. And that I think leads into I I do see where there's, you know, there's the comparison to Mike Zanino. It's a fair one. But I think that base running component gives him the leg up because Mike Zanino is many things. He is a gator and I love him, but he is not fast. <laughs> you know, whatever accuse him of being fast. On the other hand, you have a guy with a very similar profile, except for the one difference is in addition to his excellent defense, he has excellent base running instincts and excellent speed and excellent ability to take that extra base. And two, he can steal when he wants to, but he's often already in good position on the base pass anyway. So he doesn't need to steal because he's either already on second or he's, you know, sometimes not getting on base because he doesn't walk that much, but he puts him, but, but he is, he is providing that value on in the base running perspective. And I think gives him a little bit more value over someone like Mike Zeno, where even if he's not providing as much offensive value as you may like because of his hitting, if he can just get on base, he provides that value on the base running perspective. Additionally, when you look at what he could provide, if he's not performing well offensively and he needs some time, you know, where he's maybe not starting if somebody has to spell him to kind of, you know, cover some of the offensive value he's not providing that the race running value is really valuable in late innings. Whereas a guy like Mike Zanino, he might be a late inning pinch hitter because of his power, which Siri could be too, but he also could be a pinch runner. So you have a lot of value there that is, is even more so than I think a Mike Zanino might've had. One other thing I want to mention is if you look over the last 187 games with the Rays, which is what he's played with the Rays, it's just about a season just guess what you think his F four might be over the over that time period. Oh, okay. So we know he put up two point seven mm-hmm. this year. I'm gonna say last year he only played the last couple months of the season, so mm-hmm. maybe he added about half a war. So I'll say three point two. He put up three point nine F four over his one hundred and eighty five games. So basically, what that looks like is over over a season, we're talking about a four F four player which is not the same thing as a 4B war player. So you're talking about a really, really valuable player. And I think that's – and that's what we have seen. Now, now, I, what you are talking about, the, the strikeout percentage and his on-base issues – uh, it is real. Unfortunately, his K percentage is in the first percentile, which is not the percentile you want to be in. In case you're, in case you're not not aware, you want to be the 99th percentile. That's good. You do not want to be in the first percentile. That is that is quite literally the worst. He just strikes out a lot, a lot, a lot. And I don't know. And the, you brought up a good point about his his outside his O swingers outside the strike zone swing percentage is a little high. 
I don't know if that's something where they really are not going to try to get him to change because it's kind of he is what he is. But if there was one number that I would love to see go down, that's the one. Just maybe cut down on the swings outside the strike zone a little bit. I'm okay if you swing and miss in the zone. I'm okay if you take a big swing and you miss in the zone a little bit. I'm I'm really that doesn't really bother me. If you're taking big hacks and you and you miss the ball sometimes, I like I don't really care that much. That's kind of his game. If we could potentially get some better pitch selection on when he's swinging, some better swing decisions, I think that would really take him to the next level. I don't know if he's really capable of that or if he is going to attempt that or if the Rays are even going to ask him that. But I think if if he could do that, that's what I would be looking for is to say he's making improvements because I think the rest of his game, the power, the speed, the defense, the base running is all good. So if we're looking for something where he can improve in this next season, that's where I would want to look for it is in the improvements in swing decisions. I don't know if we'll see it, but that's, I think, the area where I might be looking forward to see where he could improve. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, but I also don't want to say that that's like a a catch all every player needs to cut down is outside the zone swinging percentage because we're going to talk about Josh Lowe in a second and yeah. Josh Lowe started swinging he swings a lot at pitches outside the zone as well and he started just swinging in general a lot more between last year and this year and here's something interesting okay his um outside the zone contact percentage on Jose Siri 47.1%. So when he swings at a pitch out of the zone, less than half the time he's making contact. When Josh Lowe does it, 60.9%. <laughs> so it's all about your contact tool, whether yeah. or not you should be swinging at stuff outside the zone. Jose Siri does not have that contact tool. That's yeah. why he needs to mm. limit his swings outside the zone because yeah. his in-zone contact percentage is 73%. It's still below league average, but that's still a 30% jump in ability to make contact, which is extremely significant. So we need to we need to consider that. So yeah. yeah. And finally on that base running, just to punch home how valuable it is, okay, this is uh, from gregstool.com, which is a, a thing that has run a lot of numbers on this, okay? When you've got no outs on a runner on first, your expected runs in that inning are 0 0.87. When you've got no outs on a runner on second, your expected runs go up to 1.1. Mm. in that inning so that yeah. that you know that adds a third of a run to an inning potentially yeah. on average just being between first and second and jose series an expert and um, turning a single into a double or if he doesn't do that he'll steal his way there and even between second and third that adds 0.2 runs to the inning as well so it's just yeah. it, that's where the value comes from in base running and the rays yeah. will not curb his aggressiveness we know this the Rays are an yeah. aggressive base running team so it's a good fit in that sense if we were going to grade Jose Siri on his 2023 after all that what what would you give him it's 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 a little bit tough to grade him because he does so many things well that you really really like and I think if you grade him relative to, to the rest of the league, he grades out pretty well. Among center fielders, he was 13th in F4 last season. And all the center fielders above him, except for Mike Trout, played at least 15 games more than him. So he is even to his peers, he's grading out very, very well. So I think he's I think he's a top 10 center fielder in baseball as a complete package. And he may be the best defensive center fielder in all of baseball and maybe the best base runner in center field in all of baseball. 
for now because because it's so I, I have a hard time giving someone with a like gaping huge wide open hole in their game an a i just have a hard time with it but i am going to give him a b like a solid b like a like a really really good b because i think he does what he does well he does really 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 well he's a player of extremes what he does really really well he does really really well what he does bad he does really really bad so it's he's a player of extremes and the the, the the good thing is for the Rays, those extremes are tilted more in the positive than in the negative for him. And I, that's what I would grade him out as last season. Yeah, I agree, actually. I think a B is there. I also think availability is a skill, and Kevin Kiermaier yeah. did play more games than him, which were like, hold on, Kevin Kiermaier, of all his injury issues, played more than Jose Siri. Yeah. Um, that's not a knock on Siri, and I'm not saying that will be the case for him going forward that he'll miss significant time but playing right. center field on this turf has taken a toll on the players that have done it which is a little scary uh, and that's an issue for another part yeah. about the stadium but if we say extrapolate jose series production out over 30 more games then he probably is in line for an a because he'll be about three and a half war probably yeah so i'd give him a b yep i mean i i, I completely agree with that like the best ability is availability. And I, I hope to see him more available this year with, with that in mind, do you, what do you project out for him for this coming season? Well, he's going to get every opportunity to play in center field. It's, it, he's not going to lose the job to anyone. I don't think there's anyone kind of threatening him in that position either. It's his lane. So he's going to get every opportunity to do what he can. I think with a skill set in terms of contactability, as volatile as it is, it is tough to predict, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I think he's going to get to 30 home runs. I think the Rays have done really well as a hitting development staff of finding uh, the power in players and tapping into power in players um, that have that raw tool. Yeah. Um, so I think I think he's going to crack the 30 home run mark this year, assuming health, um, and he'll also lead the league in defensive value on fan graphs. What is, what's your projections? Very nice. Uh, my projections are kind of similar. I think he's going to be again, fine. Um, above, above fine. He, he's he's going to be a top 10 center fielder in baseball next year. That, that's what I believe. I think that we're going to look at the end of the year and say, how did he get to 2020? I think we're like, he's just, he's just going to do it so casually throughout the year by just like hit, hitting bombs all the time. He's going to be stealing bases here and there. He's going to be, he's going to use that speed to his advantage. I think he's, you know, I think when you look at some of the, when you look at his, his, his outlying numbers, you might see some red flags there that may look, may t say to some people that he's going to, you know, not be as good as he was last year. But I think those numbers are kind of consistent throughout his career. So it's not necessarily a, it's it's not a bug. It's a it's a part of the system. It just is what it is. So I don't think that those bugs are going to result in him like performing more poorly. I think it's just kind of going to be what it is. And I expect him to perform very similar to last year. I don't know that he's going to get to thirty home runs. I I like him more towards that twenty five home run range. But I do think he's going to get maybe just a little. I think he will do just a little bit better at getting on base, just a little bit, and just enough better to where he gets up to a twenty twenty season for this next year. Nice. I like that. Well, let's move over to his buddy in the uh, in the outfield, and that is J-Lo himself, Josh Lowe, who took a massive step forward between yeah. 
2022 and 2023. Uh, the base stats are amazing. 292 average, 20 home runs, 32 stolen bases, which is very, very nice Crazy. indeed. Uh, he also drove in 83 runs and uh, came up with a 3.8 fan graphs war and 131 waiters runs created plus, which yeah. are all all-star quality level numbers. And he could have been on the all-star team this year. Um, Zach, tell me about Josh Lowe's 2023. What did you love about it? What did you have concerns about? I think what I loved about it the most was that I did... It was kind of like the best case version for me. It was like, if you had asked me, which I'm, I'm sure I said something. I'm not sure I remember what I said. I'm sure I said something about what I thought the best version of Josh Lowe was going to be at the beginning of last season. This is it. This season was it. This was the, and I don't think it's the best case version of him that he'll ever be, but for this next season, that's pretty much the best case scenario. I don't think I could have asked for anything more from Josh Lowe. Improvements in almost every single, if you look across the board, almost every single statistic got better over last year and some of them like drastically. So, I mean, just a, just a really, really, really awesome season. When you look at right field, it's a loaded position. You got guys like Acuna, uh, Judge, Tucker, Carroll, Fernando Tatis Jr. Well, maybe not for much longer, but at least a little bit of Fernando Tatis out there. And even among all those incredible names out there, he is still ranked ninth in F4 among right fielders last season and seventh in WRC+. So even among the titans of some of the titans of baseball that are like considered the best players that are out there, he is up there and he is he is in that stratosphere with those guys. And, and for, for last season, at least. And that's really, really awesome. That's really great to see. And when, when you look at how he did that, it, it kind of boggles the mind. Because when you look at the 2022 season, I think we all knew what his biggest issue was. Velocity. Specifically against fastballs. Run value is, isn't a super sticky statistic, and it's not one that we would use like you know overall for evaluation. But I think it kind of illustrates the point that I, that I, that I want to make. In 2022, his run value created, according to Baseball Savant, against four-seam fastballs was a negative six, which was like bottoms in the MLB. Very, very bad. In 2023, against four-seam fastballs, a positive five. So a 11-point swing, 11-run value swing. And when you look at things like his WOBA, for example, his WOBA against fastballs in 2022, 227. Not good. 2023, 390 Woba. His whiff percentage in 2022, 38.7. In 2023, 29.4. So just improving in every possible metric against the pitch that was the, his clear kryptonite. Like all like, and that was something that was said about him even in the minors, that he doesn't do well against velocity and doesn't do and has struggles with the fastball sometimes. And now we've seen him make a like a significant improvement over that. And the, the funny thing about it is you mentioned it before. When you look at when you kind of try to look under the hood to determine why that is, like he started swinging more, which is like not what you might expect. Like you would expect to, you know, look for better swing decisions. And like, I mean, he's he makes pretty good swing decisions and he has excellent contact ability, but like you don't see like incredible like like uh, like you know, like Juan Soto level plate decisions. You see good plate decisions, but just swinging way more and getting the good result, which I think is just I think a part of it's a mental thing where he just is the, the Rays said, We trust your contact, we trust your bat, swing it. 
know, get it off your shoulder, start swinging the bat because we believe in that bat and that contact ability. And I think that, that, that sometimes that can do wonders for a player when it, when somebody just says, "Hey, man, swing the bat." We think good things are going to happen when you do it. Get it off your shoulder. Get it into the zone, and good things happen. It was a, it was a really really fun season from Josh Lowe. Like truly one of the one I think one of the best stories of last season. And uh, I did not expect it. I did not expect him to take this big of a jump forward. Um, the thirty two stolen bases I expected. Did not expect the one thirty one WRC plus. So amazing season from Josh Lowe in twenty twenty three. Right. And yeah, I think it's about trusting his own abilities a bit more with those swing decisions. I uh, need to eat a slice of humble pie. I I thought he would really struggled with pitches up in the zone. He actually did way better this year compared to last year with pitches up mm -hmm. in the zone. Um, do you know what? He actually did really well with pitches that were off the plate outside this year. He didn't go after them all the time. He went after them more than average, though, and his Wobber is actually really high against those pitches yeah. that are actually off the plate away. Um, and I don't know if that's down to him trusting his bat and knowing that he's a, a big dude, right, and he's got long right. arms so he can reach that stuff. But he just trusts his decisions far more because of that. And therefore, yeah. he's making far more contact and he has that good contact tool. That means even yes. though he's, he's swinging outside the zone far above major league average, he's making that work to his advantage because of the raw contact ability that he has. And yeah. now it's actually chasing pitches down below the zone that is his biggest weakness right now. Mm. Yeah, that's and that's a really interesting point. I think the, again... Like when you talk about a player that we, we these are the things that we said were his weaknesses and we we knew it the up in the zone the the fastballs the velocity and when you go and look and see that he made improvements there that's a huge testament to the kind of player that he is and it's like it's almost like you know I wasn't familiar with your game I didn't know that you could make those kind of adjustments and do that like and I, and I thought he was going to be I thought he had potential to be a good player but the fact that he attacked his weaknesses and made improvements is a really really cool thing to see and the fact that he's trusting himself as a player I think that's the best thing players can do because if you try to become something you're not and try to you know and run away from who you are as a player you're probably not going to succeed if you're there if, if you're at that opportunity and getting those opportunities it's because the people that are making the decisions to put you in those in that position believe in you so believe in yourself a little bit and I think that's that's kind of what the Rays gave him the ability to do they put him out there for a lot a lot of the season I think we're going to see you know I think there was some discussion of platooning him and some talks about platooning him a little bit even at the beginning of last season I think we're going to see that almost completely go away this year I think he's really fine if you look at his splits versus lefties and righties he's really fine like he like there's not really a need to platoon him so I think we're going to see any platooning that did happen with him really go away this year we're going to see even more and i think that that's a good thing um if you were gonna give him a grade for last year what would you give him i would give him an a because it was so so excellent it was all-star level production yeah. uh, for a, a full year essentially yes. from josh Lowe. and if we had nine of him we would win the world series <laughs> so like a i mean what a step yeah. forward um I am the one thing that gives me like a little niggle is that he's uh, got a 357 BABIP. That might mm. be due for a little bit of regression. He might not be quite as good, but also he's still only 26 and still developing as a player. So yeah. who's to say that he doesn't have some power to tap into a little bit more? Or he might raise his walk percentage a little bit more with more experience. So 
while I think maybe his batted ball luck might have be might be a little bit worse, I still think all the signs point to a great season for Josh Lowe next year. So an A grade for me. What about you, Zach? Yeah, it's an it's an A grade for me as well. Um, he did everything I could have asked for him to do this this year. Yeah, if I if I had another A plus to give out, I might give it here just because of you know relative to the expectations how well he did. But it's an A for me. It's a great season. He he made adjustments to what I would have considered his biggest weaknesses. Um, still not one hundred percent sure how he did it, but he did it. And it, I mean, it it's just it was great to see. And I think again, projecting him over to out to next year, I think the points you made about his age, he's twenty six. He is just entering his prime. So I think that that's a really cool thing to think about when you think about how good that he was last year. He could get better. We don't, and how much better is is tough to say. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question. Do you, is this the ceiling is what we saw last year? Is that his ceiling or is there a ceiling even above that? Like what, what do you think that his ceiling might be? I I genuinely think his ceiling could be a 30, 30 season. Yeah. Um, he, He's got 20, 30 this year, which is also outstanding. I think there could be a little more power that he could tap into. Um, And I think also his, I think he could raise that walk percentage with a little bit more um experience a little bit more mm-hmm. knowledge i think so i think there's there is a little bit more to tap into i definitely don't think this is his ceiling um whether or not his ceiling is to come next year or a couple of years down the line i don't know but yeah i think there's still a little bit more to come but i don't i don't know if he's going to be like you know i don't think he's going to be a cunha but right. i think i think an all a quality all-star level right fielder is something that we could have on our hands that will consistently do that. Yeah. And I think I, I've, I tweet, I've tweeted it a couple times jokingly that I think that Josh Lowe could, could win MVP sometime in the future. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of joking a little bit, but I'm not joking that I think that he will get an M, he will get MVP votes at some point during his career. I do believe that. I do believe he will get some MVP votes, especially as he gets a little bit older, a little bit stronger, a little bit wiser, Again, I, I agree with you. I think that this next season, I think it's going to be a lot of the same. I think it's going to have a very similar season. 30-30 is possible for him this next season. I don't know that I would predict that. I, I lean more towards like a 25-30 season for him. I think maybe a little bit of improvement, not, not maybe that big of a jump, although you never know. It's it's not impossible. But I, I do think a 25-30 season for him is well within reach, and I'm just excited to, to see what he's fully capable of. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see if he swings more or less going into next year based on how yeah. swinging more helped him this year. Maybe you'll go right now. I've got my confidence in my swing. Now's the time to dial it back and be a little more selective. Or this year, no, I'm going to stick with what works and continue to swing more frequently. That'll be interesting to uh, see how his approach changes with another year of wisdom behind him. Okay, we have got a lot of people that we need to review. So let's do a quick bullpen lightning round. Are you ready? I am ready for the lightning round. Okay, Colin Pochet. He's a lefty. He throws the weirdest fastball in baseball. It just doesn't dip at all. And he had a phenomenal season for the Rays uh, last year. Uh, he put up really, really good numbers as kind of a lefty setup man. He came into 66 games. He somehow picked up 12 wins. It doesn't matter, but I think it's interesting that he picked up 12 wins uh, as a reliever. Uh, 223 ERA over 60 and two-thirds innings, 61 strikeouts, a 1.09 whip. Uh, Zach, 
Colin Pochet, weirdo. Weirdo. You know what's my favorite stat about him? That 1.09 whip, that is the same whip whether he's facing a left-handed batter or a right-handed batter. He has quite literally the same whip. He is quite literally platoon neutral, and that is wild. He's just He is a man of contradictions and a man of, like, what is going on here? When you look at, when, you know, when you look at you know, the, the, the stuff on some of his pitches, it just doesn't make any sense. He's got all kinds of red in his baseball savant page. It's a fun one if you want to go look at a fun baseball savant page. Look at that. My other favorite stat about him is his extension. It is in the 96th percentile, which just adds another level of deception to that fastball. Is he is he is putting it closer to the plate? I, it was one of my favorite statistics to look at for relievers, like being able to put that ball closer to the plate than others, and giving it, you know, giving that, you know, making that a little bit more difficult. Uh, is just one of my favorite things. My other favorite stat about him is a de- is a debunk stat because there is a bit of a rumor out there that Colin Boucher is a blow up artist. It's something that's been discussed about him in the past. He's been called a blow up artist, especially in previous years. But I'm here to debunk that. Did you know out of his 66 appearances, he allowed two earned runs three times, one earned run nine times, and allowed zero earned runs 54 times out of his appearances? For reference, Paul Seawald. People think he's pretty good. I think uh, he allowed two earned runs five times, and and he actually allowed more than two earned runs a couple of times. Two earned runs five times, one earned run nine times, and zero earned runs fifty times. He's really really good. the 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 ideas out there that he's a blow up artist or that he sucks are wrong. If you think that, you're wrong. Yeah, basically, he was nails. He was the very definition of nails. Uh, loved everything that he did uh, for the team. I love his profile. It's the weirdest thing that shouldn't work, but it works. Uh, it's like this weird optical illusion. I love Colin Pochet. I know he's a divisive figure. His walk percentage was a little higher than you'd probably want from him, uh, but he got the job done every time. So he gets an A from me, uh, and I'm excited to see him as a vital part of the bullpen going forward. Uh, I w- Hopefully he can limit those walks because they will have a tendency to blow up in your face. And also projecting relievers is also a difficult job because there is so much volatility in just coming in to pitch one inning at a time. You have two bad outings and your ERA balloons. So I would say... Everything points to good things for Colin Pochet, and I would be surprised if he was awful, uh, but he needs to cut down all those walks. Yep, totally agree. A plus, or not an A plus, an A from me, not an A plus, but an A from me. No, no real notes on this last season. Again, projecting him forward. One of the things that I think is a positive for him forward is that now we, there's even more high quality in that bullpen right now that allows him to, the pressure to be put on him even less so. I think towards the end of the season, they, we were using him a decent amount because he was one of the most trusted arms available. I think this season, there's going to be even, you know, not less need for him, but he's going to be put in high pressure situations even less and not because they don't trust him but because there's going to be less need because you have so many options you can put in high pressure situations so i expect him to have a very similarly to last year good season for this year another guy in the bullpen who had a really a really really good and valuable season and sometimes is underappreciated is sean armstrong Sean Armstrong pitched 52 innings for the Rays last year to a 1.38 R ERA. Yes, for real. That is a number that I was surprised by even myself. That's crazy. 1.38 ERA. That is crazy. Uh, and he did it to the tune of 1.38 F4 over last season. Sean Armstrong, what are your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Where did he come from? 
all the numbers on his Savant page are red as well. His chase percentage, 96th percentile. Uh, his expected ERA, 98th percentile. His expected yeah. batting average, 89th percentile. He is just... Where did he come from? He's he's like, and also the versatility of Sean Armstrong as well. I've been looking at his pitch usage season by season because he did struggle early in his career to kind of land any kind of consistent spot. And his fastball percentage started up super high and then it went to 57% and then 39% and then 60% and then 43%. And then it just keeps going up and down and up and down. And then in 2023, 20, he only threw it 20% of the time and decided to go with a cutter instead, which he was again fluctuating between up and down throwing it the Rays decided a cutter was his best move um he also uh throws a sinker now as well 34 percent of the time basically he kills you mostly with a bunch of different fastball shapes he throws a four seamer a cutter and a sinker and uh you never know which direction the ball is going to move when he throws it um and occasionally he throws a slider as well. So he's all about like minor bits of deception here and there um, because his barrel percentage is way lower and also his command is really good. 90 percentile uh, walk percentage, only 5.3% walk percentage. So he'll just pepper you in the zone, force you to make um, bad swings on stuff that's in the zone, basically bad contact on stuff that's in the zone. But he will strike you out as well with the slider or with coming up in the zone with the heat as well. Mm-hmm. Revelation, doubtful he's going to be this good next year, but will still be a vital piece of the bullpen as well, just because a 1.38 ERA is just, you, you just can't expect that every year. Um, yeah, A grade. Yep. A grade for me too. And one of the big reasons that I give him an A grade for last year is because in addition to all the things we talked about of how great he is, he is also a multi-inning guy. In 16 appearances, he went longer than one inning last year out of 39. So he's he has the ability to go long and go long multiple times. And by the way, in those 16 appearances, he only gave up two earned runs in all of those 16. So not only does he go long, he goes long with high efficiency and high and high success rate. So that is just a cr- incredible value out of him. It goes into how, you know, a 1.3, you know, one point, sorry, a 1.3 F4 is a high amount of F4 for a reliever. So really, really cool to see from him, especially considering the amount of innings he pitched. He provides a lot of value. He provides it in bunches, just really, really cool guy. I agree with you. I expect him probably to end up more towards the two and a half to three range in ERA over the next year. But I think the value might even stay around the same because the value he provides out of the pen, giving that length where we're, you know, especially when we're looking at a young rotation and a little bit of an inexperienced rotation for this next year, a guy like Sean Armstrong is one that you will absolutely love to have in your bullpen. It's an A for me from last year. And I expect more great things from him this coming year. Yep, and then finally on our speed bullpen round was another revelation that came across on the Rule 5 draft. Kevin Kelly, uh, the new KK on the Rays. Uh, We never had a KK, only the one in the bullpen. That's what I say. Uh, He's the only one that matters. He also (laughs) was excellent. Uh, He pitched 57 games for the Rays last year to a 3.09 ERA over 67 innings, 56 strikeouts of 1.01 whip. Uh, Zach, Kevin Kelly, give me the skinny on this guy. So the skinny on this guy is he's gonna he's gonna throw stuff. You might get the bat on it, but you're not gonna do much with it. He is in the red in his barrel percentage, hard hit percentage, 
those, those are the, and his average exit velocity. And those three statistics are going to tell you that you may get the bat on the baseball, but you're not going to do much with it when you do. It, it's going to be a it's going to be a soft fly ball or ground ball. And I think that that is what makes him such a fun guy to watch because he's not necessarily going to strike you out every single time, but he's got some he's got some very interesting pitch shapes and. When you do happen to get the bat on that pitch shape, it's probably not going to be anything good, which I'm a mat, which I imagine is incredibly frustrating for for batters have to face a guy who is who makes a living out of making that contact that you so deeply crave as a hitter do nothing for you. So he also has another one of my favorite stats, which is that extension, 98th percentile extension. Just again, deceptive. He's it makes it harder for you to pick up the baseball, pick up what's happening with it, and it adds another layer to you. You're just, you're, you're having more trouble. You have less time to pick it up. And when you do pick it up, when you do make contact, you're not getting solid contact. That's what has led to that success for him. Really awesome success story to see him come out of the rule five draft for, uh, over this season. Yeah. He's another weirdo by the way, cause he has that weird sidearm delivery. Yes. kind of like mm-hmm. a roogie, I guess he's not, he's, he's actually pretty platoon neutral. Uh, he is better against righties as he should be with that weird right handed sidearm delivery but he's not yeah. so bad against lefties as well he had a 1.19 whip against lefties as well yep. so he was still really really good um but he is yeah also super weird he's part of the raised development of a bullpen that gives you a ton of different looks different stuff types so you can never get comfortable because if everyone on your bullpen was just a Pete Fair, if everyone was Pete Fairbanks, you'd get used to the velocity pretty quickly and if you've got all those different looks and different pitch shapes and different arm angles We'll never forget that clock that happened in the postseason that one time with the Rays bullpen. He's a valuable piece of that because he's a really unique uh, guy and he will throw you a sweeper, he'll throw you a sinker, all designed not to get you to swing and miss, but to roll over on it and get deliver some weak contact to what is usually a reliably good infield defense. So he works really well for the Rays. I like him because his command profile is really good, which projects really well into the future, 89th percentile of walk percentage. And soft contact, it means he is capable to the Babbitt because a ball in play is always something that is, you know, yields a chance for something to go wrong. But he's so reliable at getting the soft contact that I have no concerns about him. Whether he'll be used as much as he was used last year, this year, who knows? He is able to be optioned now that he's had a full year uh, with the team after being picked up on the Rule 5. So he's not a lock for the roster, but I would still expect him to make the opening day team. And uh, it's, it's he's got a role to lose um, as opposed to uh, opportunity to gain. Yep, 100% agree. I, I really do think he's he's cemented himself as a part of the team. I do think it's possible that he doesn't make the opening day roster, but I don't think it's likely. I think he's he's very likely to make the opening day roster and to be a part of this team going forward. Uh, I give him an A for, for last season, mostly because to come from a Rule 5 draft pick to then go into and to have a 87 appearance, 3.09 ERA season, 1.01 whiff, whip have you just 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 have that kind of production uh after being a rule five draft pick is really really impressive i'm very glad to have a guy another guy like him on the team another kind of platoon neutral type of arm we love to see that uh it's an a for me for last year for him yeah, I'm going to give him a B plus uh, because he was great, but he was definitely never in in contention for high leverage spots. He was mostly sure. a medium leverage guy, but he was reliable in that role. Uh, 
I do wonder if Phil Maton is the one that might shove him out of a role and might put him down to the minors temporarily. Uh, but that remains to be seen how the bullpen is going to shake out. I still think Kevin yes. Kelly is a valuable arm and a valuable look. Um, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. But either if he's in the minors, then like the depth that we have is just like because so yeah, many it, teams would kill, kill to have him as their seventh inning guy. Yeah, they really would. I mean, I think when you look for a guy, when you look at a guy that is not only giving you that, giving you generally weak contact, but is also a 78th percentile ground ball percentage guy to where the ball's on the ground, which is generally going to be a good thing. It's it's hard for the ball to hurt you on the ground. And when, and when you are a guy in the 78th percentile doing that um, in the league, that's going to get you a roster spot a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. That was our lightning bullpen round. Uh do you wanna do you wanna tell some people about uh some lightning merchandise that they might be able to pick up? I do because while this is the Rays podcast and it is an excellent race podcast, there's also other stuff that you can get on the shop.rblarsports.com, as you should know by now. Shop and there's lightning stuff, there's rowdy stuff, there's bucks stuff. This and, and we're in the middle of Two of those seasons, or not the middle, we're at the beginning of the rowdy season, and the Lightning are fighting for their 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 life right now, and <laughs> you know as far as their playoff positioning, and you know the Bucks. Hey, we're getting ready for the draft, so now is the time to stock up on all the Bay merch that you can stock up on. And while you're doing it, you can get ten percent off uh, with code Flappy. Shop.rblrsports.com promo code Flappy for ten percent off anything you'd like to get. One more time, shop.rblrsports.com. But by the way, do you know what's free? What's hitting free? The, hitting the subscribe button. It's right there. Oh yeah. Just, just, just thought I'd mention that. You know. Just, just, just a little mention. One other thing we do need to mention, and it's a big thing we need to mention, and that is there's a bunch of dudes that are all pretty good that uh, are, are fighting for roster spots. And four of them did play last year uh, in the majors. Curtis Mead, Aranda, Basabe, and Caminero all played, but they all kind of fell into the, the bucket of not having enough, you know, not doing a whole lot to get a full player review because I think, I think I, maybe you disagree, but I basically give them all kind of an incomplete grade. For last yeah. year, they all provided some value at times when they needed to. Um, Basabe is maybe the closest to getting a grade uh, of these, and the, the four that we're mentioning are Mead, Aranda, Basabe, and Caminero. Um, those four all got some play at the major league level at some point. Uh, Mead was pretty good when he was up. Uh, Basabe provided some value when he needed to. None of those four really are, you know, getting a complete grade because we didn't see enough of them. But all four definitely are now competing for what is a very packed roster crunch situation for us going into this next season. Yeah, we have got an absolutely crowded infield and how that all works out, all those guys on the fringes is going to be super difficult to map out. So let's take it one step at a time together, okay? We know roughly we're going to have a maximum of 13 pitches. I would count on the Rays carrying 13 pitches. Yeah, I would too. Especially early on in the season where innings are limited. Um so that means we've got 13 position players that we can carry at any one time. We know nine of them as it currently stands. We know that Rosarena is in left. We know Siri's going to be in center. We know Lowe is going to be in right field. Paredes at third base. Caballero has been touted as the start starting shortstop. Uh, so let's plug him there for now. Uh, Brandon Lau will be the second baseman. 
Yandy Diaz will be the first baseman, and Rene Pinto will be our catcher. And as of now, I think the leading candidate, whether he stays with the team or not, is in question. But right now, he's on the roster, so let's plug him at the front of the depth chart for DH at bats. There's nine position players. If we've got 13 spots, we have got four spots on the bench. That's now, Harold, you I, mean, for the DH spot, right? Yes, yes. Harold, Harold Sorry. Ramirez, yeah. Mm-hmm. Harold yep. Ramirez. Yep, oh, um, Yep. And then uh, we've got four bench spots left. And we have got a bunch of people that can compete for those. We've got Ahmed Rosario. We've got Johnny DeLuca, Curtis Mead, Richie Palacios, Junior Caminero, Jonathan Aranda, Oslavis, Basabe. Other my guys that I've got written down. That's seven guys competing for four spots. I guess what I'm assuming is that Alex Jackson will assume the backup catcher role and take yeah. one of those bench spots. So actually, those seven guys are competing for three spots. Where do we start? Yeah, I think I think where we might start is looking at what the Rays have done in past seasons. And one of the and I think one of these spots is going to have to go to a backup outfielder because when you look at what the Rays have done with their roster construction in previous years, a guy like Manuel Margot last season, that's kind of what they wanted. They wanted one of those spots on the roster on the bench to be a replacement outfielder. That's pretty. That's pretty. You know, I think that's pretty generally accepted team composition for any team. But the rate we can we know the Rays have done that in the past. We've seen that evidence, and I think we would expect the same thing there. So when you look then at the guys we're talking about, it kind of thins out a little bit for at least one of those spots, and it thins out some of the the competition, and it kind of brings you down to just Richie Palacios and Johnny DeLuca because the other guys that there's a couple others that have mentioned like like for example Yu Chang uh, and Ahmed Rosario have both, you know, had a little bit of outfield play, but they're not really what I would want as a replacement outfielder, especially for center field. You know, I think that, you know, maybe they could maybe play a little bit of right field or left field. I mean, Harold trots out there every once in a while, so I guess anybody can. Um, <laughs> but I really don't know that that's why I would want to be banking on that. So it really kind of, you know, comes down to DeLuca or Caballero. Uh, or not Kevin, excuse me, Palacios for, for that, for that spot. And I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough choice. Do you have a, do you have a leader in the clubhouse for that kind of backup uh, outfield position spot at the moment? Yeah, I do. Uh, and it's, it's, it's harsh, but it's, it's how I view roster construction personally. Uh, and I think it's also how the Rays may value roster construction. And that is if Jose Siri is off, who can you trust in center field? The Rays really, really value up the middle defense. And by that, they mean catcher, the middle infield and center field. Those are the positions that they really prioritize, prioritize defense over almost anything else. They don't put bat first guys there historically. Um, you know, we field a Danny Hechevarria at shortstop for, for a year and a bit because they value his defense so much over yeah. anything hitting-wise. So for me, the guy that I trust, yeah, uh, the guy I trust playing center field is Johnny DeLuca. Uh, his defensive metrics uh, are really good. In just 24 games with the Dodgers at the major league level last year, he had 0.9 defensive value. Meanwhile, Richie Palacios had mm. negative 4.9 defensive value uh, last 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 over the past couple of years, basically. Um, so, 
I think the only guy that we have that has the athleticism and the fielding tool to play center field is Johnny DeLuca. And if Siri doesn't need a day off and you just need a defensive replacement late in a game for the likes of Harold or Randy, you would want DeLuca doing that over Palacios. And that is why I would put him in the team over Palacios for that fourth outfielder role, even though I don't think he's as good of a hitter as Palacios overall, the speed and defense is something you'd want out of a bench guy more than the head tool. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good argument for for DeLuca. And I think that, you know, the only and, – and I think Palacios – I would like to see Palacios on the team just because I think he's he's been really ecstatic about being in the Bay. He seems like a fun guy. And I do think he might compete for the other two bench spots, even though he is mostly an outfielder. He has had a couple cups of coffee at in the infield. So I think there is still – I think we will speak about him a little bit more when we discuss those other two spots. But I think it's – hard to make the argument that Johnny DeLuca doesn't earn that backup outfielder spot as much as I don't like to necessarily say it because I do think that you know his his you know he's he's ab- he has been really good in the minors hitting not like really really good but he's been above significantly above average uh, WRC plus above 120 basically every year in the minors and some and he's been all the way up to it 150 WRC plus in double A last year. It was a 125 WRC plus in triple A last year. So he's got some value offensively there. Just maybe not as much as, as a plat. I keep saying, I don't know why I keep saying that <laughs> Palacios who is, who has been, who has had some really good offensive value at the major league level, which is a, a premium thing. The other thing that's kind of interesting. And I, I think if he does end up being on the team coming out of spring training, the thing I'm going to be looking at is, his pull percentage. Did you know that Johnny DeLuca has a higher pull percentage than Isak Paredes? What? He's got a 60% pull percentage, which is higher than Isak by about 6%. Yes. I, I, I yes, that is correct. Isak Paredes has a 54% last season, 54% pull percentage. Johnny DeLuca has a 60% pull percentage. So I don't know what could happen there, but I am intrigued by that. I would like to see where that goes. And especially, and I don't know if he has the power tool to kind of do something with that, the way that we've seen Isak do it. Cause Isak has elite like pitch selection or, you know, plate discipline, all that, all those statistics and elite, you know, elite bat to ball and elite power. So like, obviously that, you know, that sets him apart, but that, that number does give me cause to be like, Hmm, that's interesting. I'd like to see what could happen from there. So while I would like to see Richie Palacios because of his offensive, what we know he has been able to do at the major league level, Johnny DeLuca has promise. He's young. He's very, very young. He was highly touted in the Dodgers system. I think it's not a surprise. I think it's also not a coincidence that he was part of the deal that sent Manuel Margot away, brought him back. Don't think that's a coincidence. We talked about it when we first got him. It seems like he's the replacement for Manuel Margot. I expect that to be the case. Yeah, me too. Um, I think the question about Palacios is he can play a little bit of infield, like you said, but I think he'll primarily be found at a corner outfield or right. DH spot. Do you know who that right. sounds like? Harold Ramirez. It does. At this point, would you rather have on the Major League roster Harold Ramirez or Richie Palacios? I think uh, Richie Palacios is super, super fun. I would love to see him in a Devil Rays uniform. I think that'd be electric. But as much as I would love that, I just can't quit Harold Ramirez. Like, I, I just, I can't quit him until it's until he proves that he can't do it. Because every time, and I'm done saying it, I'm done saying bad things about Harold. Because every yeah. single time I've been like, you know, F7, I think this is it. 
for you, Harold. He continues to play well. He continues to hit. So I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm done doubting Harold. I'm going to continue to say, I, and like, I, I'm even done. Like I'm not even going to bother with looking at statistics or looking at the numbers, how they stack up. I don't even think it matters. He's just a freak of nature. He does. He just hits the ball. I don't care. Like it just is what it is. I'm going to, I'm going to say as much as I would love to see Richie Palacios, I think it'd be fun. And we may see him eventually. It's got to be Harold right now. Cause he just, he just, he does the thing. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> okay, so currently we have got our four bench spots. We know Alex Jackson as a backup catcher needs one. We've narrowed down to Luca as a as a kind of fourth outfielder role. Yes, this is cynical of me. I don't think the Rays would have signed Ahmed Rosario to a one and a half million major league deal without any options yeah. if he was not going to find a spot on the roster. The Rays would be loathed to DFA him and eat that kind of money uh, out of camp. I don't think they would let him get out of camp without at least trying to be on the major league roster. Uh, or they wouldn't have signed him to a major league deal. So I yeah. think Ahmed Rosario takes one of those spots. I think he has some things that are good about him. Like I said in the open, I think his utility is good. I think he is a good base runner. I think he's fast. Defensive metrics hate him. <laughs> I mean, outs above average is not a perfect statistic, but he was in the first percentile in outs above average. He apparently made yeah. minus 14 outs above average, but they all came from playing shortstop. Uh, last year, when playing second base, he made one out above average. He didn't have as many as much playing time there, but he graded out as a fairly average second baseman in his limited time there. Doesn't seem that he's that good at the old range part of it. Uh, his arm strength is also below average as well. So maybe he would prof profile much better as a second baseman. Um, maybe he'll do better when he's just filling in here and there on the old fielding department. He also... Um, oh, go on. It sounds like you want to say something. No, yeah, I, I agree. I was just going to say that I agree with a lot of that. I am... I am not a huge fan of defensive statistics overall because I feel like there's always something missing there. So I'm, I think the point that you make about him not having to play short is a really, really good one. And I think that, um, I, I, I would hope that that's going to be the plan for him if he does stick on the roster, which seems to be what's going to happen. Um, and, I think I want to see him play a little defense before I make any like personally make any judgments about his defense. I just want to see it. I'm very curious to, to watch him to watch him and see what he can do defensively because to, for him to have such a low range stat considering his speed just seems so weird. And I don't know if he just has bad footwork or if he's putting himself in bad positions or what it might be. But I'm just very curious to watch him because I think it's something where like I really think, you know, from a from defensive defensively speaking, you're gonna. This is my opinion. This is I'm, this is not even really backed up with anything. This is my opinion. Defensive stats are like fine, but I think a real judge of defense has to be done by watching the games, which is why I think that the Gold Glove and all those those awards can are kind of nonsense because most of the people that are voting on them didn't actually watch the players play all the games to be able to actually see with their eyes how good a guy is, def good a guy is defensively. Um, so I'm just curious to see if if the if the numbers that we are seeing on how bad he is defensively actually match, or if you know if it's really just he's not good at shortstop, or if he is you know, or if there's something that maybe defensive metrics are mixing. I'm just missing. I'm just curious to see it. Yeah, he does have a good contact tool as well. So maybe there's something in that that the Rays really value is just put the ball in play with his speed. 
You never sure. know, right? That could be that could be something that they're banking on. I also don't think he's going to be relied upon in any great degree. I think he's just going to be a Swiss Army knife guy where we're like, hey, yeah. we need a day off. We trust you to play pretty much anywhere. We trust you to put the ball in play. His walk percentage is not good, though. He, does, he is a bit of a swing, free swinger. Um, so we just got to watch out for that. His ISO is a little below average. So we just got to trust him as a utility guy, I think. While his, you know, he doesn't project great, um, I think the Rays clearly fight, love something about him or at least yeah. trust him to hold down a bench role. I also wonder, and this is a this is just this is just a pure like speculation, no idea. I'd be curious to see if maybe he is there to put some pressure on walls to improve. And to perform a little bit because Wall has just kind of gotten the utility man role position kind of by default for the last couple of years now. I wonder if maybe a guy like Rosario is there to see what and to see if maybe pushing walls a little bit in the way that they have pushed like Harold in the past by bringing guys up from from, you know, the lower levels to push Harold a little bit and to get better performance out of him. I'd be curious to see if maybe bringing a guy on will maybe help push walls to be the best version of himself. That uh, no idea if that's actually what, what the reasoning is, but I'm I'm curious to see if that might be one of the effects of bringing a guy that is almost like a direct like I mean it's a, like almost a direct competitor. Although Walls is much better defensively, but a direct competitor for that role on the team, even though Walls is better defensively, maybe Ahmed Rosario is a, like a just a little bit better offensively, just because we've seen him have a positive W you know. WRC plus at the major league level. Maybe he's got a little bit more there. He's also stolen 20 bags before in a season at the major league level. He's averaged over 10 base stolen bases in seasons where he's played more, you know, more than 50 games in the last couple of years as well. So he is, he's providing some production there. Be curious to see how he may push Taylor walls when he gets back to being healthy. Yeah. I like that argument a lot. Okay. We've got one bench spot left. Yeah. And it's between Mead, Basabe, Palacios, Caminero, and Aranda. I'm going to let you take the reins. Who do you think deserves that 26th spot on the roster? Well, right out of the gate, I'm just going to say that I think Caminero will not be getting it. And he would be the funnest one, maybe, to get that spot because he is the he is the prospect in the race system right now. And he's super fun. Everybody loves watching him. He needs some time in AAA. Like, I'm just going to be real with all of you out there who might may want to see Caminero on the roster. I don't think it's going to happen, and I think it's the right call if, if it doesn't happen. If he plays so well during spring training that he earns that spot, by all means, give him the spot. But I really think he will he will do well with some seasoning down in AAA, give him a little bit more time to cook. As we are, as we sometimes say, let him cook a little bit down there. He needs it a little bit. He's only played just a little bit at that level and only just a little bit at the major league level. He needs a little bit more time, in my opinion. I'm taking him out of the running right away. So then we are then left with a couple of guys who, to me, the, the, to me, this really comes down to Curtis Mead and Jonathan Arana. As much as I like Palacios and as much as I like, you know, Basabe, as much as I like Yu Chang, um, I think it really comes down to Aranda and Mead because all those guys are are good, but I think that these are the two guys that the organization has believed in. They've consistently put them in you know, for that position. Uh, I think Palacios is a guy that is kind of in the waiting, and I think he will make appearance at the major league level eventually. I just don't think it's going to be out of spring training. I think it's going to come down to which of these two guys is going to make a statement during spring training over this next month to say, I deserve this spot. And 
there is a there and there is a chance that Palacios makes that statement and he gets that spot. It's possible, but I think right now it's between Mead and Aranda. And for my money, I'm putting it on Curtis Mead. And the reason is, even though I think Aranda's like bat is a maybe a little bit better, although I I may even wonder if. Mead has a little bit more power. I think Mead's going to be a doubles machine at the major league level when he eventually gets up there. But the fact that Mead can play defense and they're even going to try him out at shortstop during the, during spring training, which I never would have imagined. But the fact that they're going to do that, like I like the fact that they're going to even try that is crazy. And they believe in that. He has a, a good glove, his arm. We've, we if you've watched him play the arm, does not inspire confidence, but the glove is good. I, I like just again, eye test. The glove is good. The the footwork tends to be good. So I'm I'm curious to see what happens at shortstop. But I think the fact that he has that defensive versatility gives him a clear leg up. Aranda, I, I need to see one thing from you spring training. You're gonna hit. I know you're gonna hit. Can you please do something with the glove? Can you please just provide a little bit of value? Can I just not have to cower in my in fear every single time a ball heads in your general direction? I, I need to know that I can at least trust you a little bit with, with a glove in your hand. If I can't, then like, you know, your bat has to be so good. Like it has to be Harold Ramirez to where you're just, you pro, like, you just hit the ball. Like every single time you hit the ball and you put it in play and you, and you provide that value there. He hasn't shown he's been able to do that at the major league level yet. He's gotten about 40 games at the major league level over the last two years. And he's been just kind of whatever, like he's had good moments and he puts together good at bats, but he hasn't done it yet at the major league level. So I need to see a little bit of defensive utility from you. Just, just a little bit, or we meet, we need to see Harold Ramirez moved on from, but I think that's going to be after spring training. So out of the, out of the gate, out of spring training, I'm giving that spot to Curtis Mead. Do you, you agree or disagree? I think it's super close. I think it. I think it's really close. I think Aranda is definitely the better bat. Uh, I think his contact tool is better. I think he makes better swing decisions than Mead, and I also think his power is better than Mead. His ISO is definitely higher. I think the bat plays, but for me, when we're constructing a roster, we've got to, like you said, where do we put Jonathan Aranda? Because he's not playing at first base as long as Yandy Diaz can walk. Right. Right, as long as both of Yandy Diaz's arms and legs work, he's not taking first base away from him. Right. Um, so unless Yandy Diaz is having a DH day, Aranda plays first. But then that's like a super limited role, and that's not very useful to have a like. Okay, every five days when Yandy Diaz has a day off, that's when you get yeah. your role. It's just it, it's so hard to, to to find that spot unless Harold Ramirez frees up DH at bats, or Brandon Lau. I guess you could, Aranda has played second base, but not well. So it's just finding at bats for Aranda. And I don't want Aranda to be sitting, not picking up major league at bats and just sitting on a bench because he's not going to get better that way. I'm just watching from the bench. Yeah. So unless an injury occurs, I think it does have to go to Curtis Speed purely because of that versatility. I think you want. Uh, from for my money, I don't know if this is a good organizational tactic, but for me personally, if I were a GM, I'd want at least two players on my active roster for each position. So if the starter is not there, there is someone that can play there instead at any given day. And I think Curtis Meads, Ahmed Rosario could be that infield kind of fill in anywhere job. 
Um, you can move Paredes over to first base. If Yandy's taking the day off, you could have Harold play there. He's played there if you're, re if you're really into that, uh, if you're freaky like that. So I think it's got to be Curtis Meads. <laughs> but I think, I think yeah, Curtis Mead is the for my money. And it's a tough call, though, because if Curtis Mead really underwhelms with, uh, during spring, Aranda could sneak that spot, and I think it's going to be really close between those two but that is how i construct the roster do you agree do you disagree you should let us know in the comments or on twitter i would say hook me up at, at depressed rays i'm always up for having a, a debate with people yeah because i think this is one that is not you know set in stone like you make you make a lot of really good points about aranda i mean when you look at the offensive statistics up basically up and down they're better than mead as much as you know mead has some potential that we may think might be there he's the prospect of the two that is what you know is going to be on prospect list and has been on prospect list before jonathan aranda has the, the statistics in almost every single facet that you look at um, of production i mean he, he, he hit to a 165 WRC plus in AAA last year, just bonkers did or Jonathan Aranda. So, I mean, like it's just there. I, I just, the question is, will he be able to provide that value at the major league level or be able to provide enough defensive value to get on the roster? Because I agree with you hundred percent. I want to have, especially with look, we've seen it. Injuries happen. Injuries happen and they happen to the race seemingly more than others. Maybe just because the, the baseball gods, deem it so but it just seems to happen so having that you know having the ability to make those moves and being able to even even just giving guys a, a spell off their feet to maybe help to prevent some of that injury having a guy like curtis Mead, who can do that at multiple positions on the diamond as opposed to jonathan aranda who again like yandy doesn't really need to day off his feet as much as some of the other guys might because he's kind of just standing there uh he's uh, he's not doing as much to where he needs that break from a defensive perspective but curtis Mead being able to spell the, the guys we talked about just gives him that extra value. So uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think and if, if you agree with us. And I'm just curious to watch it play out in spring training. Baseball is happening, guys. The first spring training game, I think, as we're recording this, has, has, is just about either just has wrapped or is about to wrap up. Baseball is back. It's an exciting time to, to be here. And we really appreciate you guys being here and watching with us. Uh, and we appreciate you guys um, – through this entire offseason, sticking with us. We're getting into the really, really fun stuff now. Up Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to break down the team going like a whole, completely going into the next year. We're going to break down the rest of the, of the American League East, where we got a lot of really fun stuff coming up. And now is the time to subscribe because not only are you getting all that awesome stuff that you're getting with the ratio, but this is a great time to subscribe to the RBLR network. I mentioned it earlier. Bucks, you got the draft. Lightning, they're they're fighting for their lives in a playoff race. Rowdies getting started to another what is gonna, you know, surely be another great season for the Rowdies. Now is a great time to join the network. It's just a little red button if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're on Spotify, swipe a little, swipe over on your phone, look us up, RBLR, subscribe continue to be a part of what we're building and what we are going into another great baseball season and a lot of really other, other great stuff coming up very, very soon. Pat, any other notes to, to wrap up the show today? Yeah, you're definitely going to want to subscribe. You're definitely going to want to like, because when we say during our team preview, when we say the Rays are going to win the world series, you're going to come, you're going to be like, I knew, I remember back in, back in March and February when Zach and Pat said the Rays are going to win the world series. And I knew they were right. And I 
when you watch the World Series celebration show in October, November time, you're going to be like, I remember these guys back in March and I followed them all the way through the highs and lows of the baseball season. Mm -hmm. And we're excited to make that journey together with you guys. Yep, we really are. So that that's our show for this week. Thank you, guys. We look forward to talking baseball with you throughout the rest of uh, the beginning of the lead-up to the season. It's going to be another great race season. So for now, raise up. Raise up. Thank you for tuning into this presentation by RBLI Sports. On your way out of the stadium, please remember to like and subscribe.